Welcome to the Post-COVID Church Podcast with your host, Stuart Kellogg. Today, we're looking at how your church can be stronger, yes, stronger, coming out of the pandemic and do shutdown. My guest, Dan Hall, has a perfect mix for this subject. He's a pastor and expert in leadership development. For 35 years, Dan's worked with churches, nonprofits, and other organizations to help leaders and their teams maximize their impact. His company, Encore Solutions. He's also pastored three churches, from a church plant to a declining one to a bankrupt church, leading all of them not just to impressive attendance numbers, but also to increasing influence for Christ in their community. In August 2016, Dan experienced a dramatic shift in his life when an accident on a business trip left him a quadriplegic. Since that time, Dan has continued to coach and consult, but has also spoken throughout the country, sharing his experience and life principles as he lives his new reality. Dan holds a BA in English from Baylor University and an MBA from Belhaven University. He and Hazel live in Madison, Mississippi. They have, quoting here, Six children, three fortunate sons-in-law, and eight perfect grandchildren. Welcome, Dad, to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Thanks, Stu. It's good to see you again. For a church that's just holding on, what's the first thing the leadership should do now to get stronger? I think there's there's a difference. I think uh, everyone is experiencing the COVID effect, right? Um, before COVID, holding on usually meant a church that uh, plateaued or maybe had gone through a difficult season and was trying to figure out how to mitigate their losses and maybe close the back door. Uh, in this situation, you know, we're all in the same storm. Now, I love the illustration where people say we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And I think that's exactly right. I think that, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate because what I do has not brought the level of devastation that I've seen maybe with other people and lost jobs and lost income and lost opportunity and so forth. Um, So I was in the storm they were in, but I I had a different boat than maybe some of my peers. So I think the church is kind of the same way. I think churches, um, many of the churches I've talked to haven't been really desperately hit financially um for it's been very interesting a lot of the churches with whom i work their people have remained generous and faithful in their giving uh but the attendance almost every pastor i talk to believes that their attendance will never be the same they believe that there has been a psychological and emotional shift in people's minds to say maybe we don't have to be there all the time uh because we seem to be doing okay We've kind of enjoyed having more time with our family. We've kind of enjoyed having Sunday mornings, quote, off. Um, And so I think there's um, a little bit of that ripple that's going through the body right now that will have long-term effects but haven't had a short-term impact at this point. So I do believe that we're going to see, I think we've seen a psychological shift. And depending on how your church is operating, depending on what the foundation is, 
will depend on whether that long-term impact um, is devastating or whether it's just an adjustment. What about those that realize we need to rebuild our foundation? Uh, wow, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> without sounding too religious, um, it starts back at scripture. It starts back at what have we built on? It's just like if you realize your marriage isn't what you thought it was and you, where are you going to go back and say, where do we start? Uh, if you start with what the other one did wrong, you're already in trouble. Um, even to the extent that you think, well, what did I do wrong? That's a great question. But the bigger question is what are we going to build on? So I think the church has to do the same thing. I got deeply impacted about the base of the church, the foundation to me. Obviously, Jesus is the, is the cornerstone. The scripture is our absolute standard for what we do. But Ephesians, which is my favorite New Testament book, uh, somewhat rivaled now by Colossians, but Ephesians is my favorite. And if somebody held a gun to my head, the hypothetical gun to my head and made the hypothetical challenge, you can only choose two books in the Bible and take those two books and go plant a church somewhere in the world, I would say, give me any gospel in Ephesians. It doesn't matter any gospel, but give me Ephesians because I believe Ephesians outlines the church from start to finish more than any other epistle in the New Testament. And in the middle of that, after going through the two chapters of just our incredible blessings, all we have in chapters one and two is how we're blessed in Christ. I believe there's 19 blessings that we have without any reciprocity yet. Chapter three is all about the blessings of the church and the calling of the church. And then in chapter four, we shift that now, therefore, how do we live this out? Watch me call it sit, walk, stand. And so after we realize where we're seated in heavenly places, how do we walk this out? And then he gets down into the very practical nature of the church very quickly. And here's what he says, Ephesians, I do a lot of consulting with churches. Um, I work really, um, I call it boutique. It's very important to me to get in and know your church before I don't have a formula that I go in and use. Um, but one of the things I do tell every church is that Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 should be the foundation of every church. So he gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And however you interpret that, I, I work with every denom just about every denomination, and they're all going to have an interpretation of what that means. But however you interpret that, that foundation says this, in order um, that we can equip the body of Christ to do works of service, to prepare God's people for works of service, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all come to the to uh, to maturity, which is kind of what he says. I'm kind of wrapping up the next three verses. I tell people verse 16 ought to be over every church in him or from him, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is church. That is the church structure from him, Christ being the foundation. Um, every part grows in a healthy way, grows numerically as each part does its work. So I, I try to teach the, those whole five verses. And the foundation is 
I'll go all the way back to 11 and 12, that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to prepare. This is what he gave them to do, to prepare God's people for works of service. Boom, there it is. That's our job. The only place the word pastor is used in all of scriptures in Ephesians 4. Now, we know all the derivatives, if you want to go into the idea of elder and presbyter and episcopos and all that. But the word pastor that we love to use, especially in evangelical churches, is the only place that's mentioned right there. And he says, here's what you're supposed to do. Prepare God's people for works of service. That means using the talent in the pews, right? We still have such a view of hierarchy, whether we like it or not. And the real key is my number one job, and this really is an odd way of saying it. My number one job as a pastor is not to minister. That's kind of let that sit in for a minute. My number one job is to prepare you to minister. That's my job. Now, as I tell some guys who try to sit in ivory towers and hide behind that, I say, there's no way you can teach it if you're not doing it. Okay. But I don't do ministry because I'm a minister. I do ministry because I'm a believer. I train you to do ministry because I'm a minister. And that's where we get messed up. So we have everything backwards. The pew thinks we hire you to do ministry. No, I should be doing ministry because I'm a believer. You hire me to teach you to do ministry. That's You're freeing me up financially so that I can now mobilize the body of Christ. So I think the churches that were doing that Back to our first question, the ones who are equipping their people to do ministry are going to be less impacted in the long term. Those who operated with a hierarchy that everyone in those pews existed to make my vision successful are going to have to readjust significantly back to the biblical base that my job is to prepare you to impact the community. My guest, Dan Hall, church leadership expert and pastor. For those listening who want to strengthen their church, walk us through the steps needed to make those changes. I think the first thing I do is I give everyone a vision of what it means to to impact the world they live in. Everyone wants a reason. Everyone wants a reason to live. Uh, The problem is most of us have adopted the American dream as our reason, but that obviously hadn't satisfied. We're the number one drug use prescription drug use nation in the world. We're the most prosperous nation that's ever lived, probably have exceeded both France, the French empire and the Roman empires uh, when they do all the financial. And yet we're the, we are the most addicted, unhappy, frustrated malcontents in the world right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me. And yet we still keep buying into the dream. I mean, the definition of insanity is keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. So we just keep spending more and trying to do more, trying to, and, and the real question is we want meaning. We want there, we were created, go back to Genesis one, we were created in his image and in his likeness to advance his kingdom. His first commission was rule the earth. Uh, and, and if you translate that all biblically, which we don't have time to do a Bible study, bottom line is that the kingdom of God would be demonstrated in the earth as it is in heaven. That's why that's in that prayer that we all follow. And so we were tasked from the very beginning in our very creation to show the, what God's nature and what God's image looks like in the earth. 
we were to demonstrate that. That is, that's what your created purpose is. And so when you get back to your created purpose, that's when you find fulfillment. That's when people say, well, I found why I was created. So my first goal is I always raise the vision. I don't start with a rebuke. I start with a, re a vision, just like Jesus and John did. He preached the kingdom. He came through. They didn't know what to do because he kept raising their attention. He kept trying to rebuke them. He said, look, you're still not getting where the kingdom is. The kingdom is way up here. And I don't have my hands to show you my illustration since I'm quadriplegic. But I used to use my hands all the time. Uh, it, look, the kingdom is, 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 you guys are looking down when the kingdom is up. You guys are looking backwards when the kingdom is in front of you. You guys are looking at the kingdom in the natural when it's in the supernatural. And, and it's within you, but it's above you. It's, it transcends you. It's not confined to time and space. And so what would happen if you could look, look above the horizon and see the kingdom the way God sees it? And that's why we pray that we would see as he sees. In my last church, I took a church down in South Florida and they were running about 1800 when I got there, but they had been in precipitous decline. The last pastor had left under lots of questions and, um, and the church was actually in bankruptcy. It was being run by a Jewish judge was our receiver. And so I just began to preach. I began to preach through, uh, it didn't take me long to do Ephesians, which is a pretty long series but I want to raise their attention. That church grew to, to probably about 5,000 attendants. We didn't do real good in counting, but among children and youth and everyone in the auditorium, between 4,500 and 5,000. And we never increased our staff. One time we had 27 staff. When I was in Indiana, we had a church of about 1,900, 2,000 in attendance, just under 2,000. And we had over 45 staff. Um, we actually had almost less the staff and three times, two and a half times the attendance because we empowered the people to do the ministry. I had entire ministries that were doing work with, with uh, adoption agencies. That, I mean, doing adoption that were doing, working with, mother, uh, with, with women, single parents who were abused or abandoned. We had people working in mission trips and taking mission trips to Haiti after the earthquake down to New Orleans after the Katrina. And so all these people we just began to raise, look, you have a calling. God's got a calling on your life. You were created for a purpose. And as you began to raise that standard up, they began to see it. Then they began to ask God, well, what is that for me? And obviously we've got some that are in scripture, you know, be holy and love God and love your neighbor. And we have all these, but what does it mean for you? What does that translate for you? So then I began to help them see, well, what are your gifts? What are your strengths? What are your interests? How does that translate? I don't believe God wants you called into ministry. You are called to ministry. Everyone is called to ministry. Uh, I was raised in a time where, man, if you were called to preach, that was the greatest calling in the earth. And I appreciate the value that we put on preaching the word. Certainly Paul uh, elevated that himself, but I think we miss the point when we miss that, that Paul was the one that said the, the one that seems the least lifted up is really the most important. That was his whole teaching in Corinthians. And yet we, as preachers sometimes really get, we say that out loud, but we really see ourselves as the linchpin. So if you can ever raise people saying, look, Stu, as a, when I knew you, you were a, a TV station manager, whatever that title was. 
uh, I was just impressed because I didn't know many people in TV. So I had the privilege of knowing guys like you and Dan Modisette and others that I'd, I'd never met anyone that was a general manager or run a television station. And I thought, what an incredible position to be in. I know your hands were tied in some ways. There was only so much you could do. But I watched you meeting after meeting, trying to figure out how can I get this message through my station? What can I do legally and within my areas of influence? And I believe, if I remember, you did you were what you did um, PSAs, and and you would offer to try to use your station the best you could. You can't buy that kind of stuff from a pulpit. That's the that's the stuff that happens with influencers and people who move and shake. Dan, share with the listeners the time you realized as a senior pastor, you had to change your approach to leadership. My number one job as a pastor, we were talking about leadership on the phone. You and I were just chatting the other day. And I thought about the first time I realized when I just really felt an impression from the Holy Spirit that I had led my whole first church around this idea. I have a vision and God's going to bring me all these people to fulfill this vision. And one day I just had this incredible realization. God's not bringing me these people to fulfill my vision, which was how most of the pastors around me thought. He said, I'm bringing these, the, I'm bringing you these people so you can help them find their vision. And my whole preaching changed that day. From that day on, it was never about, here's my vision, who all wants to go. And if you hear a lot of pastors today, especially the big names, they're talking about, this is what God's told me to do. And if God's called you to come do this, come do this with, I'm not going to say that's wrong. I, I, that's between them and God. I'm going to say for me, there's a whole other breed of us that go, you know what? I'm tired of being the Pied Piper, which really isn't a great illustration because he was a meanie, but I, I'm, I don't want to be, I don't want to be Moses and I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy. I want to be the voice. I want to be the guy that does something in you that makes that voice come alive in you and free you and empower you. And so it just shifted my preaching. And from then on, every church I've pastored has grown, not by me coming and bringing a vision, but me coming and helping you unlock yours. Uh, you were the first person, it was part of Mission Mississippi. And I was in a group and that's how I met you in the group. And it's the first time I ever prayed out loud. I had never prayed in front really? of others before. And it's because of your inspiration in our small huddle. I don't know if you well, remember. <laughs> Well, apparently you didn't screw up because I've never used that as an illustration. I've been talking to Dan Hall, church leadership expert and pastor. Thank you, Dan, for being so open, so transparent, and sharing practical steps the post-COVID church must take to be stronger and fulfill its mission. Well, thank you. And thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Our vision, helping churches share more of the good news in the face of persecution, hostility, and disinterest. I'm Stuart Kellogg. Thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. You can find much more at the Post-COVID Church group on Facebook or on the website, thepostcovidchurch.com.